So, uh, <laughs> so w- w- when we start off and you just start laughing, sure. What does that What does that mean? Is that... I think I know where it's coming. <clears throat> hey, so we're just talking about your church softball league. Yeah, you guys. Uh, Missoula did pretty well this year. Yeah, in the non-competitive the... league, we we do all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys are. Uh, you won the championship last year. That's true. And then this year you were in the championship game, but you ran up against the Boston Red Sox or something. Or... That is also true. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, has anybody thought of encouraging you with the with Philippians four thirteen that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? You know, I I don't I don't remember that coming up in in team meetings. Well, it, maybe it should. I mean, and also maybe a little bit of reference to Romans chapter eight, how you more oh, than overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly conquer. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, because that's really what those verses are all about. <laughs> This is Inner Man Radio, equipping the inner man for victory through Christ, one honest conversation at a time. So drop those excuses, pick up your Bibles, and recruit a friend. You know, this week we're this week on Inner Man Radio, Mark. We're actually going to talk about what it means to overcome. All right. and, and we started off with a little bit of fun uh, with Philippians 4 is a great verse. What a great passage. In Romans 8, they're so encouraging. But oftentimes, and we read verses like what we're going to read here in in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, uh, we read about overcoming. We think about things sometimes in a worldly sense. But that's not really the context. So let's go ahead and we'll jump into the passage here. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I guess it depends what you want to overcome. Right. It, it sounds kind of Christianese. We hear the word, well, I've got to overcome. Overcome what? What is he specifically talking about? We hear people say it in reference to one another, hey, brother, you got to overcome. Let's overcome. If what? I could hit to the fence, I would be happy. You would be an overcomer. I, I, yes, I would. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, is it we're smarter, faster, stronger, richer? You know, we're beating them at their game. What is it? We're excelling at work. I mean, is that what he's talking about? And obviously rhetorical question. When when he's talking about overcoming. And overcoming the world really consists of overcoming the things that the one who's in charge of the world throws at us. That would be Satan, the god of this world, right? Right. And so when John writes earlier in this letter, you know, he praises those who are spiritually at a at a maturity level, which he calls, he refers to as young men. He said they have overcome the evil one. And we're trying as Christians to overcome the evil one. In fact, by faith, we have already done that through Jesus Christ. Revelation chapters, the first three or so, talk about he who overcomes. And it's a reference to those who have fought the good fight and finished the course. In our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against those powers, those principalities, that are attempting to tear us down and are attempting to take the world with them. When we struggle against those things, it looks a lot like 
the same kind of struggles that Jesus has in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil comes to tempt him and says, Hey, buddy, how about it? You know, how about we head on over and uh, you look hungry. You, mm-hmm. you look, have you been eating well lately? Or you look a little gaunt. Perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a loaf of bread would be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you remember how that goes. Jesus has fasted for 40 days, and at that point, he becomes hungry, and the, the devil appears, and he says, Hey, pal, what do you say? You know, if you use your imagination, these stones almost look like little loaves of bread. How about you just use a little of that power that was given to you for something else, and you turn these stones into bread, and we have lunch. Right. Yeah, what's the big deal? What's I the mean, big come deal? Come on. Come on. And Jesus responds to that. Um, you know, he says... You know, it's written, you shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and uh, in the two successive temptations, one, you know, Jesus is uh, taken to the pinnacle of the temple. And says, if you are the son of God, the devil says, then throw yourself off. And mm-hmm. so the, the boastful pride of life is illustrated there. You know, hey, do it your own way, pal. You know, just do it. And God's going to have to catch you. So you go ahead and take that step. And we talked about these Oh, several episodes ago when we went through 1 John chapter 2 and um, in connection with the, the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful, and the boastful pride, of pride of life. Right. Right. And so Satan works all those. He takes him to the top of a mountain. He says, hey, buddy, if you are, you know, or pardon me, he says, here's all the kingdoms of the world. They're in yours. A moment of time. Yeah. They're yours. Only one thing stands between you eensy. and all that. Just a eensy weensy. Just it's just a formality. Could you a, yeah. could you tie my shoes for me? Yeah. You know, just kneel down, just bow down and worship me and it's all yours. Because what Satan was really aiming at is he was aiming at uh what he perceived as a desire to be king. I will give all these things to your control if you fall down and worship me. So Satan is probing and prodding and he's poking and looking for looking for what he might see as a weakness. Yes, he is, absolutely. And so but we overcome. So whatever is born of God in verse four that we read, he said, overcomes the world. Blah blah blah. We want to overcome the world in the same way that Jesus overcame the world. And that is the victory which has overcome the world is our faith. So okay. Now one a person might be asking to say, okay, why why really should I be fully engaged in this whole process? Because really, his grace covers me. If I, what if I stumble? What, what if, if I fall? What if I, to make a fools of, of us all? Oh, right, right, right. I remember that one. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so, so, you, all right. So, what if that happens? You know, his grace covers me. I don't really want to be right. thinking about overcoming sin all the time because to think that is to kind of think negatively. <laughs> yeah. And I want right. to speak power. Oh, now and, we're talking. You know, so, so what if someone's along those lines? <laughs> you know, if, if I think about sin and overcoming and I can think, well, you know, that's on the wrong path. And we're not saying dwell on on sin that we need to overcome. That's not the point because that's not really how you overcome no. sin. But the process of overcoming and the idea of being overcomers is absolutely integral if we're going to call ourselves Christians. That is part of the fight, is it not? It, it is, and you used the right word. It is a fight. And somebody is going to be overcome here. There, only, one, only one guy is walking out of this ring. And it's either going to be the old man. It'll be the, the man of sin with the corrupt nature. Or it's going to be the new man made in the likeness of Christ, but only one of those guys 
is coming out. This So you, you either kill sin or it will kill you. Whether you like it or not, you are in a fight to the death with that old man. Hmm. And one of you is going to win and one of you is going to be dead. And there's there's just no way around that. The, the scriptures, it isn't just nice platitudes when Jesus said in Matthew 5, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That That's not, you know, it's just not kind of a kind of a, a vague platitude we're going to kind of shoot for this you know and um yeah you know hopefully we'll kind of give it a we'll, shot we'll get better but you know yeah that that isn't that's not just some token gesture you really are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and jesus wasn't laying down something that he knew you know okay i'm telling you this but really we all kind of know you're not really going to <laughs> but I've got to say it anyway because as a good Christian, you need to try. Well, that's not the context. And the, yeah, there's even you know there's that idea is out there that it's it's not uh, what you achieve; it's just what you attempt. Uh-huh. You know, and as long as you can delude yourself into thing and believing that you're trying, you're okay. And that's not the way it is. When when Paul writes to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians seven one, he says, "Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all." Defense. Of all defilement. Right. And then he clarifies, of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's no wiggle room in there for any of the old man to remain. We're going to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And if that's not clear enough, we're perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's there's nowhere left. There's no gray area that remains that can be twisted to make an allowance for sin. So, so there's no, there's no gray area. Well, Mark, how much of our sin is willful? I mean, really, can a person, a person can say, well, you know, I, I'm not trying to sin. I am not, you know. But the the fact of the matter is that, you know what? When we sin, it's pretty much usually on purpose. Pretty much I mean, usually, it's, yeah. It's not. Right. It's not like you know what? I mean. <laughs> We'll leave some allowance for the accidental sin, but pretty much, <laughs> pretty usually, much usually, that's that's, uh, that's that's the way it is. That's kind of definitive. Yeah, there, kind and of. Hebrews says, you know, and you kind of alluded to that in chapter ten, verse twenty-six. If we go on sinning willfully, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now we're not discounting or eliminating grace here, but we are saying Jesus expects that grace to be moving us toward something which is more than a than a than a a trophy goal, something that's that's more than just a, uh, just some kind of a of a. Uh, uh, the words right there too. Yeah, ah. I know. Uh, <clears throat> something you're never going to reach, but should but should try for and right and and that's not the case at all. Grace exists for us to make progress in those areas, not to continually leave us short or to make us content to stay lesser then you shall be perfect. And so Romans 6.1 asks the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. May it never be, right. So how are we going to do that is, is the question because we're all familiar with the struggle. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. And so you have to, you have to be in that fight. The question is, how do you win? Right. Well, going back to the verse that we read here in the in the beginning, going back to verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Okay. 
So faith in what? And is it just our faith? Well, that's 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 where we need to begin. Is he said um, this is the victory that has overcome the world, and our faith has already accomplished that. So the pattern for us, of course, is Christ. So when we talk about our faith, our faith comes from the author and perfecter of that faith. In uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, mm-hmm. the author and perfecter of that faith is identified as Jesus. Jesus is the source of faith. He's the author, and he's also the perfecter of faith. So we get to see in Jesus what a faith looks like that overcomes the world. And so when we're reading Matthew 4 and we see Jesus being tempted by the devil, we get to see that faith in action overcoming the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, and the devil himself. So we get to see precisely what it looks like when faith overcomes the world. And that's really encouraging for us because he authored it, he perfected it, and now it's ours. Yeah, he showed you what it looks like yeah. and he said, okay, do likewise. Right. So so what's the result of Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith? So he authored it, he perfected it. How does that apply to me? So what we see in Jesus is we see something, we see something in the history of the world that is a complete anomaly. Jesus does something that no one prior or since has ever done. And that is Jesus lives perfectly. Jesus Jesus lives without sin. And the two are not entirely synonymous, but there is overlap. Jesus lives perfectly, and he does so on the basis of faith. He does not he does not attain or he does not he does not accomplish perfection by living according to the law. He lives according to faith, and therefore the requirement of the law is fulfilled in him. That is such a different thing because our tendency naturally, just as as people, we tend to always default to the fleshly solution to the spiritual problem. Okay. So if the spiritual problem is uh, whatever is is greed. Okay. Well, all right. So if I, that might demonstrate itself as theft, I'm stealing from my neighbor. So how am I going to solve that problem? The gotta natural st- man. I got to stop stealing. I got to stop stealing. I got to yeah. lock his door. Right. <laughs> so I got to right. make sure that his house is locked up and his car isn't left open and. You know, I've got to make sure that I have an accountability partner. And right, right. Or maybe cut limit, off my hand. That would work, too. I mean, too. Jesus said that. That's right. So, okay. That would limit my opportunity. Yeah. And those always seem to be the, the default settings that the natural man re- results to in order to try and curb the problem. Whereas the problem really has to be solved by a change of faith rather than a change of opportunity from the inside rather than from the outside. So, if, in Jesus going through this process, yeah, the way you're laying this out, the way we're laying this out, someone listening could say, hey, you're making it sound an awful lot like Jesus played the game with the same rules that we're playing the game. Kind of like, kind of like, hey, you know, forgetting the fact that he actually was the Son of God, you know, that he was God in the flesh, that, you know, I mean, because Jesus surely had an advantage, didn't he? Well, you know, we... So Philippians chapter 2 talks about how you know, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. So, so Jesus empties himself of those things that would have given him 
an advantage. So we can read in Hebrews chapter 4, he says he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So the result was different because Jesus approached the problem differently. But to use the analogy, the game was the same. The rules weren't different for him than they are for us. Jesus was the Son of God, but Jesus laid aside or empties himself of those things so that Jesus has to play under the same conditions that we play. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, James adds, but Jesus is very much tempted, right? In the same in the three areas that we've already talked about. So, so getting down to the foot, ground level here. Yeah, uh, Jesus got hungry just like we do. Just like we do. Okay, so Satan tempts him with that. Yep. All right. Jesus, he he could have been tempted to take a different way out of the cross. Yep. And in fact, and was he was tempted. And so he could have chosen to not go to the cross. He could have. He could have chosen to turn those stones into bread. He could have. He could have chosen to throw himself off the top of the temple and trusting himself to God's promise that he would be caught. He could have. So all of those things, Jesus, when, when we say, when the scriptures say in Hebrews 4, that he was tempted in all things, he had the opportunity and the ability to sin. Yes. Yeah, in the sense that he he could have done it. There's there was there was nothing that restrained him except his character from doing those things. But Jesus had the same opportunities to sin that we have. He was subject to all the same pressures that we're subject to just like you mentioned. He got hungry, all those things he shares <laughs> with us as we are yet without sin. To conclude that point, then if he was not, someone might might be listening to this and think, hearing this for the first time, this idea, and thinking, wait a minute, that that can't be true. Think about this. If, if Jesus wasn't able to sin, if he did not have opportunity to sin because there was some divine thing that was going to stop yeah. him from sinning, yeah. then he wasn't really tempted to sin, was he? No. You know, so you can't, a, a robot that cannot go outside of its code a computer that cannot act outside of the programming that's in it, 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 it it's not autonomous. Jesus was autonomous. Yes. He had the ability to make those choices in his life. Yeah, he certainly did. And so, you know, some people will look to the things that that uh, that Jesus could do. I mean, Jesus obviously could perform miracles, um, but so could so many of the prophets. I mean, the, the prophets, um, you know, caused, they didn't walk on water necessarily, but they caused axe heads to float mm-hmm. or they fed multitudes with you know with a with a lunch bag um, they did they were privy to know the thoughts of others as Jesus often is they raised the dead they did and so and even though we might say well that gives Jesus an advantage it wasn't so for the prophets who had those things or who had the ability to do those miracles it certainly didn't translate into the, um, into some kind of, of buffer or, or invulnerability to, to temptation. temptation. Yeah. Right, okay. He's still got to work through that. So Jesus has to get through it the same way that we do. And the way he got through it was this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith. So if we read that for him, we, this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's really Christ's faith because it's the faith that Jesus had 
that allowed him to approach the problem differently and thus get a different result. So what does Jesus believe yeah. that gives him a different result? Yeah, because if he over if the process of him overcoming is the same process that we would use to overcome, it's our faith. Mm-hmm. What was his faith in that gave him that victory? From the very beginning, Jesus has it in his mind and he is convinced that he is the Son of God. Right from the beginning, you know, we get to see that as early as 12 years old when Jesus is in the temple. He's there with the chief priests and he's asking them questions and answering their questions and they're amazed. And his response to mom and dad about that whole debacle was, didn't didn't you know? know? I need to be about my father's business. That's right. Jesus knows and is convinced from the very beginning that he is the Son of God. And then he has a lot of things in his life that confirm that along the way. When he's baptized by John in the Jordan, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Happens again at the transfiguration. And Jesus is always calling himself the Son of Man. And he's calling him God his own Father. So Jesus is is using those 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 terms. He understands that's who he is. That's what Jesus believed that allowed him to approach the problem differently and get a different result. So Jesus, he was the son of God. Yep. But what about us? Because the scriptures say he was the firstborn among many brethren. That's right. So the same principle would apply to us, would it not? It would indeed. Now, we have an additional complication because you know, when uh, when we fell short, when our faith was not sufficient to the task, we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So in our case, we have an additional problem because once somebody sins, they become the slave of sin. Right. And so that fellowship or that relationship with God is broken. However, when that person is immersed into Christ, according to Galatians three twenty six and 27, they are immersed into Christ and become sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So faith brings us back into that relationship where we are again sons of God, where in essence we get to start over, but this time with the added benefit of having the scriptures lay out for us that by virtue of our being born into Christ or born again, we have become rightfully the sons of God. So if if Jesus overcame the same way we do, and it was faith in his sonship, and we have faith in our sonship mm-hmm. in the same way, then aren't we saying that Jesus didn't have any advantage over us in overcoming sin? And aren't we really saying that we can, as a result of our faith in our sonship, that we can live a sinless life as he did? <laughs> That's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> If Jesus, let's consider it this way. If Jesus has an advantage, then what has God proven to mankind through that process? If Jesus comes to earth, lives in a body that looks like ours, but isn't really tempted like us in all things, if Jesus only gives the appearance of living the way that we do and being subject to all of the temptations that we're subject to, what has God proven? Right, okay, so so it'd be like... Um, it'd be like an NBA player playing against a junior high school team. I mean, w- yeah. what does he prove by winning? Y- yeah. What it, does he prove by hitting 43-pointers in a row? He proves nothing. He, he proved nothing. Right. And especially because see, the appearance of Jesus and his, and his righteous life is what leaves the person who is 
who is who has struggled with those things what leaves him without excuse if jesus comes and does it perfectly but doesn't live the same way we live doesn't isn't subject to the same temptations he hasn't proven himself to be righteous in judgment and and paul asked that question you know how will he still find fault for who resists his will if if we didn't have a choice to sin but jesus has, has some kind of supernatural advantage in the sense that He's impervious to sin or whatever. God hasn't proven himself to be righteous. He's only proven himself to be stronger. He's only proven himself that he wasn't subject to those same things. So, And that would give someone an excuse, wouldn't it? It certainly would. Not that anyone would ever use it. No, but, no, but, no, no. But it certainly would because, because we could say, well, God... You know, I know you're telling me to overcome sin, and you say I'm supposed to be perfect, as our Father in Heaven is perfect, and right, I read the verse, but right. come on. I mean, you don't know what it's like to be me. Nobody's ever done that. Right. And, and how If that can, were the case. Yeah. How, how, can you, how can you say that? I mean, I understand you created me, you understand me, all that, but really and truly, you when you were down here, you didn't have to live the life that I live. Yeah. In, intellectually, it's not an out, but it would be an excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody could could make the claim that well nobody could do that. You've put me in a position where where I have to fail. Now God would be just to do that because He's He God. has as the Potter He can do what He chooses with the clay. Right. However, God doesn't do that with us. He goes to great lengths to explain to us through Jesus Christ that He is just not only in His requirement that we walk perfectly, but in His punishment for sin in all respects. Because Jesus proves that in a body just like ours, it can absolutely be done. Not by following the commandments of the law, but by following righteousness on the basis of faith. And Jesus accomplishes what up to that point had been unthinkable or unattainable. But Jesus gets it done. So we do it the same way. When we're tempted in those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, we don't run to the flesh to be our savior. We don't run to the, to the, to to the law to try and overcome those weaknesses that are inherent to the body. We go to faith. We say, you know what? We are sons of God in Christ Jesus. And John already told us in chapter three that someone who's a son of God, whatever is born of God, cannot sin. Right? Right. That's the idea because we're sons of God, and so we, I can't turn those stones into bread. I'm a son of God. Sons of God don't do that kind of thing. Right, And right. so we overcome the same way that he overcame. You know what? We I think that's the end. So, Mark, if Jesus, being tempted in all things as we, not having an advantage, yep. and did not sin, then really, when we're tempted by the same kinds of temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride mm-hmm. of life, yep. we have a choice and we are not destined to sin. Right. And so we have the choice, not just once, but, but well, each time individually. Yes. But there is no law that says that I am destined to sin. It is because sons of God, I can honestly say, it, a son of God wouldn't do this, just like the example mm-hmm. you just gave. We have a choice, and it's our faith in our sonship and how Jesus acted and looking at his actions, looking at how he lived, being transformed into that as we read about him, taking on those characteristics that really gives us the victory. Yeah, yeah. Everybody acts in accordance with their faith. And Jesus has a perfect faith. Therefore, Jesus has 
a perfect performance. He has a perfect life because his faith is perfect. We are perfect in practice to the extent that our faith is as his faith. And when our faith reaches that point, when we are, when we have a full and perfect faith, then we will act full and perfectly like sons of God. Jesus pursues it through faith, and we pursue it exactly the same way. Jesus, because he takes on all the struggles that we take on, because he's tempted in all things as we are, he is therefore a suitable example of how to overcome those things. And when we do it that way, we get the same result that he got. And we'll, we'll see, see you next time, time on, on Interman Inter Radio. And we'll, and we'll see, see you, you next time, time on Interman Inter Radio. <laughs> Try to get oh, one more time. And, and we'll, we'll see you next time on Interman Radio. Oh, that was good. That last one, keep that. Yeah, well, we'll... <laughs>